Well, good day and welcome to the online ministry for St. Augustine's Anglican Church in Inverell. My name's Matt. It's great that you're tuning in with us today. Uh, this ministry has been prepared for the 9th of October, 2022. Friends, hear these words of scripture as we begin. From Psalm 130. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. Uh, what a great reminder of the Christian hope we have and of the God that we have. And it's with that great promise that we go now to a time of praise. Rejoice the Lord is King Give thanks and sing and triumph evermore. Lift up your heart, lift up your voice, rejoice again. I say, rejoice. Jesus, the Savior, reigns, the God of truth and love. Saints, he took his seat above. Lift up your heart, lift up your voice, rejoice again. I say, Well, friends, as we come to hear from God's word, let me pray. 
Graciously hear us, Lord God, and grant that we to whom you have given the desire to pray may by your mighty aid be defended and strengthened in all dangers and adversaries. And we pray this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, our first reading today comes from Mark chapter 1, and it's verses 29 to 39. Our psalm for today is Psalm 111, and our New Testament reading is from Acts chapter 3. Uh, it's the whole of the chapter. I'll invite you now to pause the video, and with whoever you're watching with, uh, take a moment to read through those together. Well, as we come to think about Acts chapter 3 now, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we have your word in front of us, and as we study it now, give us eyes to see clearly what you are doing in history, and see clearly uh, your mighty and, and gracious acts for us as well. Help us to respond in the way we need to, Father, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we like it when a product we buy uh, is a real benefit to us. And we like it even more when the manufacturer will guarantee what they offer. Uh, we do. We want products that add value to our lives. We want them to be a benefit to us. Now, a few weeks ago, I changed the brake pads on our car. They were getting low. They hadn't been changed, changed in a while. They were almost on the limiter. And so they were starting to make just a little bit of noise. Now, there were so many options when I went to Super Cheap Auto. So many options that I could choose from. Uh, and I ended up going with a product made by Bendix. And like most others, uh, this particular brake pad claimed that they would have, they would give quicker stopping, that the pads would be longer lasting, and that they would also be noise and dust reducing. But they also had this unique feature, which they, they claimed gave them faster bedding in times or faster wearing in times. Uh, and it's at a reasonable price as well. And so will these brake pads be a benefit to me? Apparently, yes. And I can say that so far they've been, they've been good. But what's more than that, the manufacturer gave their guarantee. There's a big red stamp on the side of the box and they said, we will back our product. In fact, if it fails, we will give you your money back. Uh, and we like that kind of thing. We like statements like that. That's how we think things should be. It's the kind of standards with which we hold uh, someone to. We want something to be a benefit and we want it to be guaranteed. But I wonder, what about the Christian message? Now, Christians say that Jesus is the greatest answer in life and all of life's needs. But we might ask, why? Why do I need Jesus? Why will Jesus be a benefit to me? What reason do I have for needing him? And possibly an even bigger question, can I bank on it? How did I know that compared to every other claim of other religions, how do I know that this is true? Where's the guarantee? Well, in Acts chapter 3, uh, the writer, Luke, he, he wants us to see the answers for these questions. He tells us why anyone should turn to Jesus, and he shows us why we can trust in Jesus' promises. And so as we come to the text now, the first point is that God gives us a glimpse of his guarantee through the apostles. And so as our section opens in, in verse 1 onwards, we, we see two of the apostles. We see Peter and John. These are eyewitnesses to Jesus and leaders in the emerging church. 
they're heading towards the temple at the time of prayer, the time that regularly Jews would go up and pray together in the afternoon. And they, when they get there, there's a man sitting in one of the temple entranceways. And he's, a, he's in desperate need. Uh, we learn in the next chapter that he's, been, he's, he's like this, been like this for 40 years. For 40 years since birth, he's been unable to walk. There's no wheelchairs back in the day. That means that in order for, to get anywhere, he needs to rely on other people. They need to pick him up and carry him. And this day, they brought him here. He's being carried to this busy spot in the, in the temple so that he can beg for money. And that's what he's doing when Peter and John come along. And on the basis of past experience, we might think that he's not overly optimistic about receiving very much at all. But what God was about to give him would far exceed what he could ever hope for. Uh, because Peter and John, they stop when they get to him. They look at him. Peter tells him there, look at us. And so he does eagerly. What's he expecting? What's he waiting for? And then in verse 6, Peter says to this cripple, silver or gold, I do not have. You kind of feel this, this sigh of maybe disappointment by the, by the crippled beggar. But Peter says, what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. This is not something that you hear every day. It's certainly not something that you'd hear if you went down to one of the medical centres in town. In fact, if you did, you'd probably get out of there pretty quickly, wouldn't you? But the power through miracles that Jesus alone showed in the Gospels, the apostles now claim to do in his name also. Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Well, Peter then offers him his hand, which apparently the crippled man he accepts. And the response, it's unbelievable. Certainly by any, any kind of medical standards today or, or ever, in fact. He immediately got up and started to walk. After 40 years, I mean, it's not like the muscles had time to slowly repair the tendons, joints and muscles. And, you know, got to the point where he was able to eventually get stronger and stand up. No, no. We're told in verses 7 to 9, instantaneously... His feet and ankles became so strong that he was able to walk and jump all the while praising God. This is a remarkable sign of restoration. Now, even if the healing was possible today, it'd take such a long time of recovery just to get to that kind of fully restored point. Well, in verses 9 to 11, we see then that the crowds, they see what's happened. And they were filled with wonder and amazement. They knew this man. They knew his condition. They'd probably seen him sitting there in the same spot for years. But if you were here at church with us last week, or if you were watching on with us last week also, then what happens here through the apostles, it shouldn't surprise you. Because Luke, the writer, he tell he told us last week in chapter 2, verse 43, he told us that, Everyone was filled with the awe, uh, filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. This here in chapter three is just one example of these signs and, and wonders they are doing. And we may look at this and again wonder, what's going on? I mean, we don't see this kind of thing happen today. Why are the apostles able to perform these miracles that only Jesus was able to do while he was on earth? 
Well, you might remember last week that I said that these signs link them conclusively to Jesus' ministry. Now, these things showed that their words had his authority. That God has, just as God has accredited Jesus in the Gospels by wonders, by miracles and by signs, so now the apostles are being accredited by God as witnesses of Jesus too. It's like God's his stamp of guarantee on them. And now you might be wondering, should we expect to see God still perform miracles and healing like this to confirm his word today? Well, the answer is no. The apostolic gospel preached in Acts needs no new approval from God. His historically validated healing of this man was God's accreditation of the gospel back then, and it remains his accreditation of the gospel now. At this point, you might be wondering, well, what about 1 Corinthians 13? Paul, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, rather. Paul speaks of the gift of healing. Does God still heal miraculously today? Yes. Does God still answer prayer and we see miraculous healing? Yeah, we do see that from time to time. But we shouldn't simply proclaim, the he- proclaim healing like the apostles do here and expect that it to instantly happen. Again, this is a specific place and time in history for a specific purpose of God. And as we read this, I mean, we can see God's just his mercy on this crippled man. But we need to remember that, as Luke tells us in, in 2.43, this is just a sign. It's not the thing that we should focus and give all our attention to. It's like in Western movies, when there's a brawl in a pub and, you know, the sheriff walks in, he pulls out his six-shooter and blasts off into the, into the roof. Everyone stops what they're doing and looks at him. What's the point? The point is, listen up. When we see Jesus, when, when the Jews rather see uh, what's going on here, when, when, we, when we read of these miracles, it means that we too need to listen up. This is the, this is the act of someone with authority. And so whatever they're about to say, we can bank on. God has given it his guarantee. He's given it his approval. And so as the crowds are drawing near in astonishment, Peter takes up the opportunity and begins to speak. And his sermon is it's quite familiar. It's, it's quite similar to what he says in chapter 2. And so the people are there. They're drawn to the miracle. They know that miracles come with authority. And what's the point of the sermon? What does Peter say? He says, don't look at us. Now look to Jesus. Now Luke wants you to read this and know, point two, that there is power in the name of the risen and glorified Lord Jesus. Now Peter says to them in verse 12, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? There's a miracle. And the question is, by whose power, by whose name, by whose authority has it happened? And Peter says, don't look at us. We aren't the originating cause of what's happened here. And he gives them a rather long answer. He doesn't give them the answer they're looking for straight away. He builds them a picture. And because he's speaking to Jews, he draws on their shared history together. He speaks about what God has done. Which God? Well, the God of their fathers, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Israelites, the only true God, the God who made the heavens and the earth. 
He says, this God has glorified his servant, Jesus. You know, this same Jesus that you handed over to be killed. This same Jesus who was really innocent, as, as Pilate said, but you insisted that he, that he goes to, the, to his death. You disowned him. This same Jesus that the whole, is the holy, righteous servant of God that Isaiah prophesied about. This Jesus, and as if the guilt wasn't bad enough, he drives it home in verse 15. You killed the author of life. And he's right, isn't he? They killed him. They killed Jesus. Now, the Jews didn't actually nail in the, the nails into the cross through Jesus' hands and feet themselves. No, they, they got the Romans to do that. But because of them, Jesus was sent to die. And actually, if, if we're being honest about this ourselves, it's not just them back there. This is us too. We are all caught up in the death of Jesus. Now, again, we didn't hammer in the nails ourselves either. But if we had lived a life of perfect relationship before God, honouring him the way we need to, and not rebelling, not sinning, then Jesus would not have gone to the cross. He would not have needed to die. It's because of our sin that he did. If Jesus hadn't died in our place, then we could not be right with God. Jesus needed to die so that we could be forgiven and yet justice still be done. When Jesus died, it wasn't just because of the Romans nailing him. It wasn't just because of these first century Jews pleading with Pilate to kill him. Now, when Jesus died, it was because of our sin. But we also know that that's not the end of the story, is it? Now look at the rest of verse 15. He says, you killed the author of life, but... God, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. This is what Peter meant in verse 13 when he said that God had glorified Jesus. It means that he has raised Jesus from the dead. By a mighty reversal, God brought his servant, Jesus, the holy and righteous one, from death to life again. In raising him from the death, God has affirmed that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. It's a vindication of everything Jesus said. It's God's vindication that Jesus' death was sufficient to pay for our sins. The resurrection signals God's stamp of approval. Yes, on Jesus. He is the Lord. And so now, finally, Peter gives a straight answer to the question that they want to know. They want to answer. How is this man able to walk? Look at verse 16. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Two things here. Firstly, the name of Jesus is not a magical formula. It's not something that operates apart from the person that it represents. The ascended Risen Jesus, now seated in heaven, is not some kind of absentee landlord. He remains present and active in our world through the Holy Spirit. And the second point verse 16 makes is the need for faith in his name. Uh, Jesus does not heal or save apart from those who call out to him in faith. 
The second part of verse 16 speaks about the faith that comes through him. It indicates that Jesus himself is the source and inspiration of our faith. A faith on the part of the apostles, it was necessary for healing this man. But it appears that as Peter uses Jesus' name in verse 6, it aroused at least some sort of basic faith on the part of the beggar also. And so Peter proceeds to offer him his hand. But the crippled man, he needs to respond and take his hand and actually get up then and walk as he's being called to do in the name of Jesus. It's a challenge. And there's a sense in which, in which his response was a faith response. And so for the people, they'd seen this miraculous sign. They've flocked to Peter and John. And Peter says, don't look at us, look to Jesus. It's in the name of the risen and glorified Jesus that there is power for this man to receive healing by faith. I think we should also note at this point that Peter's immediate concern was to deflect glory away from himself and give it back to God. And so I wonder how we go with that in our own lives. Do we give God the glory that he deserves? Do we give God the glory for what he does through us and maybe through our ministries? Or do we seek to keep that glory for ourselves? Do we say, hey, look at what I've done. Uh, Andrew Thorburn has been in the news, obviously, uh, this week. And by his actions, he's actually made an amazing statement. He's shown that there is something more valuable than the glory and pride associated and that comes with being the CEO of the, of the football club that you love and cherish. He showed that there's something, in fact, someone more important and who's worth living for. Because it's only in his name, only in Jesus' name, is there power to save. And let's be clear. Salvation is the issue. This, this is what it's all about. It's, it's what this miraculous healing is pointing towards. And a response needs to be made. In verse 16, Peter says, You know this man. You've seen him. You can see the transformation that's happened in his life. So what are you going to do? This calls for a response. And so as we come to the last section of his sermon, verses 17 to 26, here we see that God promises blessings for those who respond, both now and in eternity. In verse 17, he acknowledges that by putting Jesus to death, these Jews, they acted in ignorance. They didn't recognize, even through Jesus' words and signs, that he was God's appointed Messiah and Savior. In verse 18, he says, Though they acted wickedly, God used their actions to fulfill what he promised through his prophets thousands of years earlier. And if you want, you can go back to chapter 2 and you can see how Peter says some of that actually plays out. And so what do they need to do then? What's the response? Look at verse 19. Repent then and turn to God. This is the challenge. It's for them and it's for us. Repent then and turn to God. Now repent, it's a call to stop. To stop what you're doing, to turn around and go the other way. To turn away from sin. To turn away from living for yourself. And if we're turning away from something, where are we turning to? Turn back to God. This is faith. Faith is trusting not in myself, 
but in the God who sent me his son to die in my place. But why would I do that? Why would I turn back to God? What's the reason? Well, like when I buy a product, brake pads, I want to know that it's going to be a benefit to my life. I want to know what difference it makes. Paul here then, he gives three encouragements or three reasons we might say for repenting and turning to God in verses 19 to 20. And so reason one, he says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. When I turn to God, trusting in Jesus' death in my place, the slate is wiped clean. There is no more sin, past, present or future that needs to separate me from God. He has dealt with that in Jesus. And so that I can stand justified right now before God. This is an immediate blessing. Reason two. He says, repent then and turn to God so that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And this is also something that we taste now. That we're people who, to whom God has poured out his Holy Spirit in our lives. And we know what it is to have true love. Joy, peace and hope. We have Christian family, brothers and sisters, both here locally and around the world, who want to support us, encourage us and spur us on. But we also know that our lives aren't perfect. That's because we still live in a fallen and broken world. And so we know that this promise of refreshing of God, ultimately, it's a future blessing. Which brings us to reason three for repenting and turning to God. He says... We have the promise of Christ, of Jesus' return. And that'll be good news for those who have given their lives to him. Uh, verse 20, 21 tells us that it'll be a time when God will restore everything. When Jesus returns, we'll see the consummation of God's plan of a renewed creation. Free from sin. Free from brokenness. And so, forgiveness. Refreshing. The return of Jesus and the restoration of everything, these are three positive encouragements to repent and turn to God. So have you done that? Have you repented? Have you turned to God in your life? Now these blessings are for those who have given their lives to Jesus. And so for those who don't, the opposite will be true. If you don't give your life to Jesus, there will be no forgiveness of sins through him. You'll have to bear your sins yourself before God. There'll be no ultimate refreshing and there'll be no enjoying the new creation when Jesus returns. In the last few verses of, of Peter's sermon, he again speaks about the fulfillment of what God has said through the Old Testament prophets. It's a warning and it's an encouragement. He says that Jesus is God's ultimate messenger. If you fail to listen to Jesus, then you will not have relationship with God. He says Jesus is also the one through whom, through whom God has chosen to bless the whole world. The promises of blessing are both, as we saw, now and future. They come not by anything we do, but by trusting in him. Now, the Christian faith, it's a different faith from every other religion. Every other religion focuses on people's efforts to, to get right with God on, on, our, on our part. To win his favour. They focus on what we must do. 
But biblical Christianity alone begins with a proclamation of what God has done through Jesus. And only then, after saying what God has done, are we pointed to the appropriate human response of repentance and faith. And so cast your lives on the Lord in faith, on the basis of the Apostle's testimony of what God has done for you, and of which God has given his stamp of guarantee. This is the message that we have received. And it's a message that we should also share. Now, this incident began with a picture of a man who was in deep and desperate need, but far more serious than any kind of economic or or physical poverty is being in spiritual poverty. And friends, people around us are in spiritual poverty. People around us don't know God. What did Peter do? He took the opportunity to speak about what God had done and he related it to their deepest need. If we confess that God, that Jesus is the Lord of our lives also, then we too should be bold in proclaiming what he, had done, what he has done in the opportunities that he gives us. And why wouldn't we? When God has given us ultimate blessings through faith in the powerful name of the risen, ascended and glorified Lord Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for all your mercies to us and all your blessings to us. Blessings, as we see here, that are both now and future. Thank you, Lord, that we can have forgiveness of sins, the assurance of that. We see your love poured out for us through Jesus on the cross. Thank you, Lord, that in our lives now you give us uh, refreshment through the people you put in our lives, refreshment through your spirit. But ultimately, Lord, we know that we look forward to ultimate refreshing on that day when Jesus returns and you make all things new. And so, Father, we look forward to that and we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Well, uh, having heard God's word, we now go to a time of praise again. tree